readers, I'm excited to share something special with you. It's the latest installment of an MSNBC series that's near and dear to my heart called The Culture Is. Each episode of the four-part series celebrates women of color through honest and thought-provoking conversations about their lived experiences. You might remember my friend and colleague Tiffany Cross and I hosted the first edition, The Culture Is Black Women, back in June. For the next installment, we pass the baton to actress Justina Machado to host a dinner party with trailblazing Latina women, including Grammy award-winning singer, actress, and philanthropist Gloria Estefan, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Maria Hinojosa, actress and producer Gina Torres, and more. Plus an exclusive interview with Rosie Perez, Oscar and Emmy-nominated actress and activist. I hope you enjoy The Culture is Latina. Stay right there to listen now. Latinas are not a monolith, yet there's something inherently Latina about every single one of us. People think we kind of understand Latinos now. You have no idea. Do you really want more of you in the world? Yes! Yes! (laughs) Oh my God! (laughs) We need to start crying with each other. We were taught to be grateful. Yes. And quiet. We can still be grateful, we just don't have to be quiet. Los Angeles, a city filled with Latino culture, pride, resilience, and joy. I've been here for 27 years with my chosen family, my friends, and my career. I'm a matchmaker. I know what it is. There's a lot of good in this world. So you better believe I know exactly where to get the best mole to serve the ladies. I've been coming to this restaurant since 1995. Since I got here to LA. Yes. Day one. (laughs) I was actually day one. I am, girl. And one of the things that I love and I'm obsessed with is the mole here. Today we're going to make the Coloradito. Coloradito. Oh my God, how about my Puerto Rican accent? Coloradito. Coloradito. (laughs) Here are all of our ingredients. We're going to fry all this together and then that's going to get blended. Did you guys have a restaurant in Oaxaca also? You know, when we lived in Oaxaca, my dad made mezcal. Oh, wow. My dad was a mezcal maker. Yeah. My grandpa was a mezcal maker. What made your family decide to immigrate to the United States? It's pretty trippy. My dad was not a cook at all. My dad moved to L.A. first. Uh He realized that there was a huge amount of people who were from Oaxaca that yearned for the food as much as he did. Yeah. He realized that I want to open a restaurant, and he moved us to L.A., 25 plus years later, now I am making mole with Husina. <laughs> so here is the mole we prepared. It's funny because my mouth still waters to this day, and I've been eating this all my life. We understand. This is the best mole ever. Thank you. The best, girl. I feel we should have a cocktail with this. Are you ready? I'm ready. Oh, All right. Well, see, this is how we welcome Thank you. Thank you. Look at that. Salud. Gracias, gracias. Thank you. And this is a drink with 
Mezcal, my favorite. And this is what we're going to be drinking on Saturday when yes. we sit down with all these fabulous women. This is dangerous because I think this can go down pretty easy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So let's talk about the women that are going to be there. How exciting. I, I mean, am so excited. I'm excited about all our guests. But I will say that the one that my parents are always excited about and anybody in the Latino world, in any kind of world, Gloria Estefan. Of course. I mean, not only an incredible musician and broke all these barriers and crossed over, but is showing us what an actress she is. She was on my show. Yes. She played my aunt. I'm surprised she's not singing. And now I would like to honor Ophelia with a song. <laughs> and yes. she was incredible. And now she's got the father of the bride with Andy Garcia. I can't wait to see it. I'm warning you, do not take over my kitchen today, please. So we have her, that the goddess of all goddesses, the Cubana goddess. And then we have my other Cubana goddess, who I adore and love and was my boss for many years. Gloria Calderon Kellett. Her reimagining of Norman Lear is one day at a time, which yeah. was just incredible based on her family. Did you think I was gonna be some young blonde flaquita? <laughs> the specificity of being a Cuban American, growing up three generations under one roof, we know this. Mm -hmm. Like, I grew up with my abuela and my mom all, you know, under the same roof until I was around, God, 16 or something like that, you know? And that's progressive. <laughs> Then we have the beautiful Gina Torres, who is an actress and a TV producer. She's navigated this world of being an Afro-Latina, mm -hmm. where in this world of Hollywood, they don't necessarily see her as Latina. No, he's not okay. He's in a kitchen in a restaurant. He needs to be in a hospital. I mean, for a long time, I didn't know she was Latina. I, isn't that crazy? Well, then there's the fabulous Maria Hinojosa. La conoce? I've spoken to her, I've yeah. interviewed her on my podcast. You have? I have. Every time I talk to her, I feel like I just went to Harvard for a yeah. class <laughs> about life and politics. And then we have your friend that you can tell me a lot about, Julissa Arce. Julissa is incredible. Yeah. She is an author, activist. She came from Wall Street and decided to, you know, end that career to dedicate herself to activism. And, and she was undocumented. She was undocumented for a very long time. And her book. Her new book, You Sound Like a White Girl. You Sound Like it's a White Girl. It's the story girl. of my life. It's this evolution of learning to love yourself, learning who you are, and finding out who you really are. Yeah. And then we have Monica Ramirez. Monica is... She's like a house. Dolores Huerta, yeah, right? She That's is. what she is. She is. Yes. She is like our version of she is. of what activism can look like. Janelle Martinez is indigenous Afro-Latina and she has a website called Ain't I Latina. Imagine just navigating both those words. I'm indigenous Mexican, so it's probably the same struggles that you feel, but then on top of that, you're Latina, and then you're Afro-Latina, yeah. and you're indigenous. Then you have me, <laughs> who will be feeding all of you. I'm so excited. Yeah. Thank you. I can't wait. Well, Here salud. We salud. See you at dinner. That's right, to our dinner. It's probably going to be the lady's most favorite dish. Yeah, I can't 
So one of the things when they approached me to do this is it's important for me to, to put out there that Latinas are not a monolith, you know, Absolutely. that we are not a monolith. But yet there's something inherently Latina about every single one of us. Yeah. And still I could have a table a hundred feet long and we wouldn't be able to reflect right. <laughs> everything that we look like. So I just want to thank you for coming here and joining this little actress. <laughs> little. Not little. Not little. Thank you for having us. I have a Cuban sandwich right here. <laughs> right? It's a total Cuban sandwich. Know, I'm a, a Gloria, Gloria sandwich. sandwich and a Cuban sandwich. I love it. I love it. It's a good sandwich. In the beginning, you were told that you were too Latina for American audiences. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. And too American for Latino audiences. Mm. It went both ways. Yes. Mm. I grew up in both worlds, and I feel very comfortable in both, and that's what allowed our music to be what it became because we had vocabulary mm. musically and, uh, you know, language-wise yeah. in both worlds. But they wanted to water us down for the American audience, take out the horns and the percussion, make us change our name. And then for the Latinos, they thought, why are you singing in English? And we told them, that's who we are. So I don't want to succeed by watering down our sound. I want, because if we're successful, I'm going to be doing it the rest of my life. Mm. And hello. <laughs> this is like history right here. I mean, because you know, because I mean, I'm sorry. History. You're just an icon. I mean, can we just say icon, icon, icon? Icons. I mean, right. yes, it's a table salud. of icons, but salud. icon. Salud, salud. Yes, to my, to my, to my Gloria. I love you so much. I mean, she's so, and Gloria and Gloria. That's so interesting because I think a lot of us have had to still deal with that, still have to deal with living in the both worlds. But Gina, you were forced to embrace one identity in Hollywood, uh-huh. right? <laughs> I, I feel like I was living in three worlds. There was my world that I grew up in also, Spanish-speaking, home, Cuban parents, and then you go out into the world and, and I'm speaking English and I'm in the Bronx, uh, South Bronx, you having a great time. That's right. <laughs> yes. And then... Going into this industry as an as an actress, then nobody recognizes you as either one. Yeah. There was mm. no place for me as a Latina. And then as a black woman, I just I didn't identify as a black woman because for me it was it was cultural. Right. Because of course I present black, I am a black woman, I am also Cuban, when you're here in the United States and they ask you to be in a box Mm -hmm. and you don't fit into the box, Mm -hmm. culturally, it was different. It was not one that I identified with. But to work, to survive, it was something that I had to learn. Mm -hmm. To then learn to be whatever black was Mm -hmm. and then feel like I was alienating that other part of myself, that Latina self, it just kind of became a, a, a Jedi mind trick mm-hmm. to, to keep myself from just being sad all the time oh, about yeah. not being able to fully experience and express the entirety of myself. I think that's our superpower, though, ultimately. The fact that we have this discomfort. I, I tell my, my students, my young people now, that freak out that you have, that, what did you call it? <laughs> Jedi gay? Yeah, no, uh, my, my Jedi mind trick. Jedi yeah. mind trick? Okay, that, but that, the fact that we can be in that space where it's just like, mm, 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 am, I, am I enough? Am I here? Am I this? Am I that? Am I, 
Is my Spanish good enough? Is my English good enough? Am I whatever? That is our superpower. It is. The fact that we can live with that. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but, and, but and also we shouldn't have but to. But there's also a word, word. I want to give us the power to recognize it. Code switching. Uh, yeah. 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 I just learned that. And I feel like I code switch all the time. I code switch from, I'm from the inner city of Chicago. I code switch to that inner city stuff to like, okay, yes, the proper to the Hollywood thing in the boxes that they love to put us in in yeah. Hollywood. What you're talking about is prevalent in the Latino community too. Yes. Mm -hmm. The fact that Afro-Latinidad is not, uh, you know, accepted or it's not talked about. It's interesting for me to hear that because when I looked to media outside of like my home for a representation, it was women like you, very few on screens, which was in the African-American television market where I could then piece together like, oh my goodness, Torres is her last name. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yes. 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 Growing up in the Bronx, many of us are, you know, black and brown, but sure. I just couldn't be that, you know? Yeah. I hope that at some point we can have like an unpacking of why is racism so embedded in mm. Latinidad, period, oh. right? I mean, the, the legacy of the caste system is Yeah, there's yeah. a whole history, right? Yes. You were talking right. about it being a human condition. Yeah. It is a human condition of colonization. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Like it is colonization mm -hmm. that still exists in our minds, right? So the caste system is something that has been outlaw for centuries now, but the colonizer still lives in her mind that tells us you have to be lighter skinned to be more beautiful. And the thing is like, I don't think we realize what we're actually saying. We're still saying that white people are better than exactly. us. Absolutely. And we're still aspiring to being white. And it's because of the caste system. You, you were saying there's only one way to be Latina. There's only one right. way to be black. There's only one way. But like white people get to be Mm. Yes. All sorts of different things. Yeah. Our identity is very complex because I am an immigrant, but I have friends who whose families have been in in Texas since the first census of Texas. They never crossed the border. Right. Right. As I'm listening to this conversation, I'm thinking, you know, I'm a rural Latina. I identify as a rural Latina, right? My family came to this country as farm workers, never went back to Mexico. We could, our family could not go back to Mexico. And where I'm from in Ohio, there's no question, I am Mexican. When people see me, I am Mexican. But when I went to Chicago for college, that's actually when I got more questions about whether I was Mexican enough. So I feel like we have to confront ourselves on these things as well. Yes, it's very much like that. But then you were talking about the media and how we're, we're in a box. So what's changing with that, Gloria? Because, you know, come on, Gloria. This is my, <laughs> this is my sister. This is my sister. This is she's a lot of, listen, I won't do anything without this woman. I won't do anything without this woman. No, a lot, a lot of people are changing yeah. it. I am blessed to be in a seat where right now they're shining the spotlight on my change, but it is a lot of awesome young storytellers that are out there that just need the opportunity. Uh, I mean, the burial ground for this past year of Latino shows mm -hmm. is, is like I've never seen. Yep. Because when we were starting one day at a time, mm -hmm. I remember going, oh my gosh, Vida? And Hentified yes. is coming. Yes. And Diary of Future President is yes. coming. It was like, like a thing. It was like this, like, oh my, this is the moment. We've been waiting for this moment. And Gloria started that, I gotta tell oh you, because gosh. every family was Cuban on TV after that. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody was Cuban on TV. They wanted Cubans after that, it was great. But I really feel like it was an exciting moment that then in promoting my new show with love, all of those shows were gone. Yeah. 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 The all pendulum swung. The pendulum swung yeah. back. I feel like we really have to be so loud in this moment. Mm. Because I think that what is happening that's beautiful is this cultural correction. Mm. People know that stuff has been bad. Mm -hmm. Now they're understanding. 
oh, I guess racism still exists. I think that we were in this. I really, but I think we were like, oh, Obama's president. Everything's yeah, okay yeah, now. Yeah. And then we realized, oh, no, they just kind of got quiet for a second. And then they got real loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need to confront that, like, this is a real thing. Let's talk about it. Let's extend our arms to one another mm-hmm. and say we do have this thing in common, this thing that we cannot name. We do have it in common. How can we stand with each other? Yeah. And hold each other up and lift each other up. Yep. Oh my gosh. We can have an exchange of ideas without without going to fisticuffs. I desperately wanted to be a mother, but what did that look like for me? Mm -hmm. Did somebody say you need therapy or did you just say, no, I need therapy? Someone definitely said you need therapy. Natatela is this beautiful, almost like dumpling. So there's like a little square of Oaxacan goodness. And these were just gonna drop on the comal. You guys love arguing about politics. All no, I know is that when I'm in Miami, I'm just like this. Oh, my God. Can we talk about something fun? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, we stay away from it because it's destroyed families. It has. It we has. also need to respect each other's differences of opinion. I agree. Which we're having a bit yes. of a tough time doing. But how do you, yes. how do you respect somebody's difference of opinion? Now, this is a true question. If sometimes it's so really bad, you know, like they, they, the, the racist stuff or, you know, being anti-choice or how can you have that conversation anymore, you know? Justina, how do you think that that happened? I don't know how it happened. It's happened over this period of time where, in fact, Latinos and Latinas, we haven't been placed attention on, actually. Yeah. We've been from invisible, basically, to become hyper-visible. I feel like we're still invisible. We're still invisible. But then, under the Trump and in his campaign, we became hyper-visible yeah. for not, not for something right that reasons. wasn't truth. Latinos and Latinas are the second largest voting Absolutely. block. Yeah. Not a block. It's a cohort. If Latinos and Latinas are not thinking about democracy, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, U.S. democracy... Mm-hmm then our, our democracy is in trouble. It is in oh, trouble. Oh, I see so, it. It's so, in so trouble. We, so this thing of, like, how do we understand everybody's differences, it's like, okay, yeah, we got to hold on because this is what it's going to look like for the next several decades. So our responsibility has to be to understand the complexity, have the conversations, be instigating, trying to, but no va a ser fácil. Esto no, no se va a resolver. No, 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 no. no, no. no. It's going to get, like, if people Worse think, like, if people think, like, oh, well, we kind of understand Latinos now. You have no idea. Yeah. If we were truly informed, we would not be voting the way some of us are voting. Right. That's yeah. what I was Because we're voting against our own interests. Yes. Right? And yes. to everything that Maria said, you add this wave of disinformation exactly. mm-hmm. that is specifically targeting Latinos. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. People always want to blame us because we don't vote, right? Like, y'all don't vote. Yes, but let's talk about gerrymandering. Let's talk about how there's more and more restrictions to us to making it easier for people to access yeah. the ballot book. Box, right? They're like, no, you don't vote. It's like, you've never even tried. Mm -hmm. There's a story people want us to hear and want us to believe about whether or not we're showing up. And it's not true. We show up every day. We show up all the time in different ways. But the other thing is, 
like we have to take it back even before we have the conversation about disinformation when only 1% of all philanthropic dollars have historically been invested in our community and that includes money to do civic engagement and civic education work. And during the pandemic, when we were holding this nation up, mm-hmm. it dipped to 0.8%. And then we talk about the disinformation and why people don't know and what is the, the narrative that people are driving. And I just feel like there's so much gaslighting that happens oh yeah. all the time. All the time. And, and by the way, not just to Latinos. Not just to Latinos. Just in general. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is happening. To Americans. Absolutely. I mean, Mm -hmm. I studied psychology and communications. It's fascinating to me, social media, because Mm. this is a wonderful thing and one of the most dangerous things that is happening in the world because people do believe what they read. Unfortunately, this is across all the communities. I remember being a kid and being in a Cuban household, which you funnily said, but it's true, <laughs> that you can't have a political conversation because it's like, wow! Like, That's what always would happens. Explode, like, right? God. So to me, I'd watch these debates on American television, and I was in awe. And I was saying, oh my gosh, we can have an exchange of ideas without, <laughs> without yes. going to fisticuffs. Yeah. And it's like, that is gone. I can't have those conversations, and it makes me sad. Yeah. That I can't have those conversations anymore. And I'll tell you why, because I get too heated. You can't be a person of color in this world and not be political. Because right. <laughs> mere presence being, is being political. apolitical. I'm not apolitical. No, I know. I'm not saying you are. I'm not saying you are. I'm not saying you are. But I'm saying that to your point about if you're a person of color, you cannot be apolitical because yeah. being apolitical, first of all, is a political stance. Right. That's pretty much my immediate family who I adore. But my mom and my and my stepdad, you know, they're very old school Puerto Ricans. They're just like, OK, keep your keep your head down and just work. There's another generation, though, that has in the last several years that has lived through the murder of George Floyd. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that Black Lives Matter movement has touched them as young people. Yeah. Like the way seen Martin Luther King touch me when I was a little well, girl. For sure, so it's yes. When I first came to live in the U.S., my mom would tell me that the United States is una casa ajena, right? It's somebody else's house. Mm-hmm. If you, something smells bad in a, and you're visiting a house, you don't go tell the person who owns the house, huele mal tu casa. There is a shift between the way my mom viewed the United States and the way that I view the United States. Right. To me, the United States is my house. Mm-hmm. Yes, of it course. It belongs to me. That's right. And therefore, if something stinks, I want to go find the source of that. I want to go throw it out, and I want to change it. Amen. The shift is when we were growing up, when I was growing up, we were taught to be grateful. Yes. And quiet. Be grateful and be quiet. We can still be grateful. We just don't have to be quiet. That's right, and that's the difference. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's the moment that we're in where we're saying, we're grateful, but here's the story, and we're going to write it. And we're going to have our own table. That's right. We're going to have our own table. I was going to say, too, and I know we were talking about, like, how harmful social media can be, but truthfully, I I love the flip of that, how empowering social media has been, particularly for millennials and Gen Z. So you're hopeful. You're, you're, when you think of... You know, I go between a lot sometimes. I'm hopeful for the next generation. Um, I feel like I personally am jaded by a lot of things, you know, in society. Um... I will say in this moment, I, I do cling to, to hope. 
mole chicken and plantain. I just, you know, wanted to bring something beautiful, simple that represents my culture of Oaxaca. Oh, mole and totón. People still can't believe that I never wanted to have children. My grandmother every day, God rest her soul, because she raised me. I love my grandmother so much. She would say, Ay, nena, no tenga hijo porque te hacen sufrir. Every day she would say that to me. They make you suffer. Every day she would say that to me. And then I was like, okay. And then one day when I was like 30-something, she goes, pero nena, tú no vas a tener hijo. Te estás poniendo vieja. And I'm like, pero abuela. You weren't supposed to believe me. (laughs) I don't know. Is this something that you guys felt you had to do? have kids. That's think, all I wanted to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think having a teenager has made me um, check my choices. <laughs> <laughs> It'll pass. It'll pass. <laughs> That's what they tell me. It'll pass. It'll pass. It gets better. Okay. It gets better. I was raised by a stay-at-home mother who spent most of her life without children as a domestic. Then she came. She raised her children. That's wonderful. That was my, but that was my example. I knew I couldn't be that. Yeah. Right. That was not the mother I could be. I wanted to be a mother. I desperately wanted to be a mother. But what did that look like for me? Mm -hmm. I always knew I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. My husband wanted to do it. And I thought I was going to wake up one day and it was going to be like, I'm ready. I'm with ready to be a mother. So I'm ready to do it. With that face. <laughs> the day kind of wasn't coming. And it really got to a point where my husband and I were like looking at each other like, I mean, are we going to do this? And we had, I remember we had friends over for dinner and our friend was super against children. He was like, I mean, I think, Gloria, maybe you shouldn't because you're trying to change the world with your work. You're trying to do all this stuff. I mean, do you really want like more of you in the world? And I was like, oh I, yes. I, I, yes. I'm like, I really do. What pained me the most was within the Latino community, they were so beaten down by Hollywood, Mm -hmm. they kept telling me to be quiet. I had an accident in 1990 where I was paralyzed and I felt people's prayers. New Yorican, a delicious blend of New York and Puerto Rico, so rich that it makes even this proud Chicago Boricua a little envious. I mean, look at the flag. I lived here for five life-changing months. It's so good to be back in the city with my favorite New Yorican. Oh my God, so happy to be here with you. I'm happy to be here with you. At the New Yorican Poets Cafe. This is a big, big time New York landmark. All the uh, New Yorican artists, they all came together and built this place. It's just an amazing, amazing place for me because it was one of the first communities that were political and artistic that I felt that I belonged. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Do you remember the first time we met? No. I love this. I remember I was on Six Feet Under and I was at a restaurant in L.A. called Spanish something, Spanish Cafe. They came over and they said, uh, this round of drinks has been sent to you by Rosie Perez. And I was like, what? And I felt oh, like yes. I had made it. I yes. swear to God, I felt oh. like I had made it. Because I was so impressed by your work. Thank you. It was. You know that for years and years, it was all about 
uh, looking for a Rosie Perez type? The Rosie Perez type was based on one role I did, which was Do the Right Thing. Yeah. Which wasn't who I was. It was a character I played. Uh huh. And it was a political satire. No, come on, move that out. Other actresses would be angry at me, never met them before, or throw me shade, never met them before. I would later find out, it's like, well, I went on an audition and they wanted the Rosie Perez type. And you're so different than Rosie Perez. And I just fell out laughing. I said, I am who I am, not the characters that I play. Yeah. And what you should have said was, no, we are not a monolith. We are not one thing. Where does that come from, that you just were not scared to say, whatever, Hollywood, I'm not going to fit into this box? I think that I did not have any fear because I always knew, oh, I'll go back to school. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to take this crap. Wait a minute, this isn't right. And what pained me the most was within our own community, within the Latino community, they were so beaten down by Hollywood, mm -hmm. they kept telling me to be quiet. Yeah. I think that's also because, you know, of my childhood, you know, you know, coming from abject poverty, being a, a, um, a, a child of the child welfare system and being a ward of this New York state and all of that. People looked at me differently yeah. and people treated me differently. Even when I was a little girl, I would be like, no, you can't do that. No, I'm not like that. And so it just has stuck with me. How are you able to overcome all that stuff? Therapy. Okay. Intense therapy. All right. So right yeah. away, which is looked down a lot in our, in our culture. Yes. So when did you start therapy? Oh, my goodness. I started therapy, I believe it was 1999. Dude, you were ahead of your time. 1999. 1999. And did somebody say you need therapy or did you just say, no, I need therapy? Someone definitely said, you need <laughs> therapy. <laughs> I'm always so amazed at your connection with Puerto Rico and Puerto Rican activism. How did that come about? That came about um, through my aunt, God rest her soul, Ana Domingo Atero, and my father. It was difficult, though, because my Spanish was poor mm -hmm. and I was made fun of yes. on, the, on, the, on the island. Um, when they used to call me Yankee girl, I used to cry. Mm -hmm. um, so then I stopped speaking Spanish. Yeah. You know, all that said... The pride that was instilled in me by my family down there is still with me to this day. Yeah. And my father was very, very proud. I also get embarrassed a lot about my Spanish. I can speak in Spanish, but I don't feel as articulate. And I feel like sometimes Spanish media makes me feel bad about it. Do you do interviews in Spanish? No. And yeah. it's basically for the same reason. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that because my latest project, Now and Then, yes. Shameless Plug, it's the first project where I had to speak Spanish fluently all throughout. What was that throughout. like? It was terrifying. Yeah. Well, parece que su amiga estaba metida en un gran lío. I had my sister Carmen with me the whole way, and she said to me, let's discuss the elephant in the room. When you were a child and you would come down to Puerto Rico to visit me and dad, you know, and the rest of the family, and you were ridiculed because of your poor Spanish, it zipped you up. Mm -hmm. When you were in the Catholic school, in the Catholic church with the nuns, you weren't allowed to speak Spanish. You were hit if you spoke Spanish. Whoa. Oh, yes, darling. She goes, so what are we going to do about the elephant in the room? Because if you don't deal with it, you're not going to do well in this project. Oh. And I said, oh, my gosh, 
I hate you so much and I love you so much. You know, <laughs> Carmen is so smart, girl. She's so smart. I was like, you know what? They are not going to take my power. I am going to kill this role. I am going to speak Spanish. I am not going to worry about my dialect. I am a New Yorican and I am playing a New Yorican. So let's go, baby. Let's go. Oh, you took and that I power pulled back. It off. I pulled it off. You know, I still get nervous to this day speaking Spanish. Me too. You know, and it's it's a it's a false power that our own people uh, use against us. Yes. And it's and it's dividing. I'm so proud to be Puerto Rican. I wouldn't want to be anything else. But when I go to Puerto Rico, they tell me I'm not Puerto Rican because I wasn't born there. And then they say things like that about my Spanish. It's funny, we're talking about not feeling whole, not feeling like true Boricuas. Yeah. And we're here in the New Yorkans Polk's Cafe. Yeah. This wonderful poet, Mariposa, mm -hmm. she had this lovely poem. And one of the most prominent lines from that poem was, I wasn't born in Puerto Rico, but Puerto Rico was born in me. Yeah. And take that. Thank you for sitting down with me, my friend. Don't get me crying. I know, by the way, look, both of us are looking at each other like this. <laughs> we're like, we're gonna start crying with each other. <laughs> Thank you, Justina Machado. I love you. I love you too. Mm. <laughs> It'd be crying and thinking, oh, she's in denial, she doesn't realize that she's not gonna walk again and all this, and I would say to them, it's gonna be okay. Damn. I used to think that I could share my story and I could get white people to see me as human. <laughs> then I realized, no, I mean, it's... Was that my outside shot? No. no. <laughs>that we do the Latinos are like all the superstitious yeah. things there's like such a deep like Yoruba tradition and, yeah. and you know oh. and, and yes well I in Cuba and the Caribbean my, th my titi uh, Lourdes is like big time I mean that's why I go to when I want to limpieza but she sends me all the stuff from Jersey <laughs> Yeah. We have an altar in our house. They light candles all the time. And I think that's beautiful. A little rum. I have a family altar. Incense. We have a family altar. I have a family altar. Absolutely. Just having, like, the fact that the majority of the people in this table have altares. They have an altar at home. Yeah. That, again, when you're thinking about, like, what makes us who we are as Latinos and Latinas. Yes. Like the spirituality. Mm -hmm. I grew up Catholic. I went to all-girl Catholic high school. And we would pray. And I never really understood the concept other than you're repeating. It's like a mantra. But it wasn't until I had an accident in 1990 where I was paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And I felt people's prayers. There were millions of people wow. praying for me worldwide. Mm -hmm. And I could feel it as an energy. I felt like I was plugged into the wall. Mm. And I would absorb that into my body and imagine it reconnecting nerves and doing all these things because it was powerful. And my family would walk into the room and they'd be crying mm. and thinking, oh, she's in denial. She doesn't realize that she's not going to walk again and all this. And I would say to them, it's going to be okay. Damn. I'm telling you, it's going to be okay. Just relax. I'm going to do this. And they 
couldn't believe, but I was plugged in. Mm. That's when I first understood the power of prayer. Mm. So we have somebody on the table oh. who's actually felt like global prayer. Yes. Yeah. Wow. You know, I was undocumented for like a long time, and then I worked um, on Wall Street, and I used fake papers wow. because. Because that's, that's her first book. Y'all should read it. Y'all should read it. Yes, read Julissa's book. And people, and people always ask me, like, how did that work? And I'm like, I don't know. You're going to have to ask God. Because I honestly Apparently don't know. Apparently it worked great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Activist and artist Faviana Rodriguez. Yes. Who did a talk that I went to, and it was talking about how Will and Grace and Ellen coming out directly right. impacted mm -hmm. all of the good that we saw for the LGBTQ community that we love, right? And she's like, it takes 10 years. It has to resonate to pop culture, it has to sit in there, and then 10 years. My parents came here in 1962. What was happening in America in 1952? The number one show in America is I Love Lucy. Cuban-American is married to a white woman. Everything's fine, he's amazing, everyone thinks he's, he's speaking fine. Spanish. He's speaking Spanish, yeah. but it's fine. My parents came during Operation Pedro Pan, also speaks to how nobody knows in this country the I history of Latinos. So By the way, I didn't even know about Pedro Pan until we did the show. There was yeah. an exodus Tell of 14,000 14, <laughs> 14, plus Cuban children that came while they were gonna get Castro out of Cuba, and Miami was farmland. They were unaccompanied. Yes, they unaccompanied were minors. And instead now, those same children are put into cages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. The last 10 years, the narrative on television exactly. has been very different. That, that, that Latinos and Latinas yeah. are scary, that we're coming to take over. Yeah. There's so many misconceptions yes. about immigration, and sometimes it's ourselves, like it's us, it's our own community that does it. Right. I'm sorry to say it, but a lot of times there's some Cubans that are like, oh, my parents oh, came here legally. I'm just saying it, I'm going there. So I'm listen, going there because uh, go there. It's a fun. When Cubans got here, they were given citizenship. But that's they were given access about. to yes, welfare. Exactly. They were given, right? That's right. And so when the rules have changed, it's like there is no right way for a that's lot of right. immigrants that's to come right. here. By the way, I think a lot of that was the guilt of the American government when they left them high and dry in Bay of Pigs. Because mm. my dad was a Bay of Pigs. He was two years a political prisoner. You know, we're seeing we're seeing those differences even now. There are Ukrainian refugees yeah. who are able to come from the Mexico-U.S. border into the United States, as they should. However, we're not treating Central American immigrants, Haitian immigrants, Haitian. Yes. to come yes. in and seek Four refugee in the same way. Right? Particularly because we, there's a racialization 100%. there, right? That's where, where I was going. That's where I was going with this. So is there a double standard? Definitely a yeah. double standard, yeah. right? Absolutely. I mean, look at the... Look at the lottery system, the visa lottery system, and how those visas are allocated. That's totally racialized. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the group that has been thrown under the bus by each political party year after year, decade after decade? Immigrants, Immigrants. Yeah. and refugees. Immigrants. So that's where I'm with Julissa, which is, well, I wasn't born in this country, but I became a citizen. So I'm gonna make this country the country that it says it is. Mm -hmm. Right but it's not gonna happen unless we're all doing it. What do you think we yeah. should do? Do you have yes. ideas on how we can make this better? How can we make this better? Monica? I, well, <laughs> I, we, Monica, Monica, you are to me an expert on, I, I mean, really, uh, seriously. I have a lot of thoughts on this. Okay. <laughs> I mean, to Gloria's point, like, what do we do? It's, the narrative has to come first, right? The policy will follow the narrative shift. So we've gotta tell the stories, we've gotta write the books, 
no one here is waiting for permission. We're all just doing it, right? Mm-hmm. What comes next is different political leaders, leaders who are actually leaders, right, who are going to be brave enough to do what is required to change the law. In order for us to get there, it's going to require the public to apply the right pressure. And in order to have the right conditions to apply the pressure, I think you have to go back to the narrative. I used to think that I could share my story and I could get white people to see me as human. <laughs> then I realized, no, I mean, it's... Was that my outside shot? No. no. <laughs> what I realized is that, one, I was never going to convince someone to see me as human. And that is it, is, it is not my job to convince someone else of my humanity. And so to me, the narrative change has to be a narrative change of how we see ourselves. Yes. What, how we see our place in this country. And, and, and the narrative change has to be to energize the choir. There's something that's happened in the, in the immigrant rights movement, which is there is a story that people want to tell about who are the good migrants, right. what is well, the that's right the way, right? And because we're not challenging each other on that, people are getting away with it. Once they're here, and I understand people are, like, trying to live their lives, but I also feel like people flip their own narrative as if, it, you know, it wasn't a struggle or maybe it, mm-hmm. it wasn't, and then now it's like, well, you, you're on your own. Like, why do, why do people do that? That's the other lie, right, that you hear all the time. Nobody helped me. It's a lie. It's a lie. We've all had fairy godmothers. Oh my god, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have fairy godmothers. And so they tell they they decide that for themselves to make it okay to turn a back or turn a blind eye because it's all fear. It's all fear-based. You know, we just suffered this tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, mm-hmm. right? Thank you for bringing bringing up um, the 19 children and the two teachers mm. whose lives were this is stolen. Horrendous. I've cried so many times. It's awful. It's just, it's I mean, like... We, we cannot forget. We can't, no. we we're, cannot we're, forget. We're doing this and celebrating and saying to each other love and empowerment and unity, and then it's just like, also, we are being attacked. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. It's our community's responsibility to keep the stories alive. One year after El Paso... One year on the anniversary of the shooting in El Paso, not a single major U.S. newspaper ran a front-page story exactly. commemorating, remembering what happened. Jeez. We, can, we cannot let that happen. Mm-hmm. I worry a lot about the mental health toll mm-hmm. overall, yes. of being attacked every day, of trying to figure out how to survive, of figuring out if your kids are going to come home, if you're going to come home. Like, that is toxic stress yeah. that people are living with every day that they will pass on to their children. And mm-hmm. you know and that some of us, have, that trauma has been passed on to us too. We need to talk about it openly, that therapy is important and good and we should get it and our kids need it. And I don't know that we're there yet. So I feel well, like historically our community looks down upon absolutely being yeah. having to th- go to therapy or being whatever. They have or this, medication. Oh my they, god! They really feel that that's a weakness yes. when it's not at all. We've talked about a lot of heavy issues. Yeah. But what are the wins? I know the queen over here probably looks like this when she wakes oh, up. Oh no, girl. <laughs> For dessert, I am feeding these beautiful women arroz con leche with these candied garbanzo beans. Delicious.
We've talked about a lot of heavy issues. Yeah. But what are the wins? This table, I think, is a really great representation of our resilience, of the beauty in our community, yeah. of the power in our community. Mm -hmm. Each of these people, each of these generations, carries in us mm. the survival. It carries in us the joy. Yeah. I carry my grandmother. Yeah. My grandmother every day. Yeah. Uh, to me, my grandmother was everything. I carry that little hibara from the mountains of Puerto Rico until the day I die. Yeah. And there's just like so much beauty in our community and so much to be joyful about and so much to celebrate. And that anything is possible, right? Yeah. Even though it doesn't seem that way, sometimes it seems so dire, that if you look at this table, anything is possible! Gorgeous. Oh, look at you looking gorgeous. Oh, you know, yes. she came yes. out the kitchen. Yeah, you're gonna check. <laughs> you just look like that all the time. Yeah. Gracias. Well, you all don't look like this when you go cooking. I'm usually in a flannel robe. <laughs> I know the queen over here probably looks like this when she wakes oh, up. Oh no, girl. <laughs> no way. Oh, wow. I hope you all enjoyed dinner. Yes. Oh, beautiful. we did. Girl. So beautiful. Wonderful. I know we are in a dessert, but I wanted to bring a little bit of Oaxaca to you guys. This is a cocktail made out of mezcal. Thank you so much for allowing me to feed you, to be able to hear conversation while you guys are eating Oaxacan food. Mm. I don't think my grandma would have believed me today oh. that I was going to be sitting. My mom believes that I'm going to be feeding all of you, yeah. you know? So thank you guys so much and salute. 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 Ooh, that's delicious. Ooh, this is good. I am so grateful that all of you joined me at this table. I knew if I surrounded myself with such articulate, intelligent, incredible Latina women, it was going to be great. So, salud. And thank you so much. Thank you so much. I want to honor that we are on Shumak and Tongva land today, and that those are the indigenous people of this land. And how grateful I am that in this moment, we get to all be in conversation, because all of you make me better. So. Thank you for letting me share space with you today. Yes. yes. And I am going to say that our grandmothers was a big theme here. Yes. So I want to celebrate my grandmother who came to this country at 57 and started over, who was pulled out of school in Cuba at nine years old to have to go to work because of the depression and wanted to be a lawyer, being born in 1905. And she told me, you are gonna have to sing because that is your gift. And if you don't share it, you won't be happy. So to our grandmothers yes. that have kept that tradition I'm so grateful for being here. I'm so grateful for being in your presence. Thank you. Thank you for doing all that you have done, all that you continue to do, putting your entire hearts into it. You do make me better. You give me places to look. You give me places to grow. This has been my yes. greatest honor. Yes. Salute to you. Salute. Janelle totally inspires me because Janelle, um, coming from the Garifuna people of Honduras, indigenous black people who have resisted under every possible form. So to have the Garifuna presence here. That's a big, yes. In, in, in terms of like survival, hell yes. <laughs> I'm very appreciative and I'm so grateful to be sitting next to you. I feel like I was led to this space to be in conversation with you all. The work that each of you are doing has inspired me and I'm looking forward to walking this journey with you all. I want to say that I love you all 
And I truly believe in my heart that we are building the world of our dreams. Mm-hmm. And it's my honor to be able to build that world with you. And I believe that we are the answer. And I know that we're going to win. I just want to say that, you know, in a world where it's really difficult to find mirrors, each of you has been a mirror for me and you've helped me to feel seen and to feel loved. And I just hope that we can all realize in the ways in which I have realized that all we ever needed was each other. So to each of you. We didn't get that right. What is no, that? we didn't, actually. Arriba, abajo, pa'l centro, pa'l centro. Oh, sorry, sorry. Pa'l centro. Pa'l centro. Pa'l centro. I went straight to pa'l centro. 